Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming back to Real Leaders. I'm Sue Heilbronner, your host. And Real Leaders is the podcast that brings you the story behind the story of some of the most authentic, innovative leaders in the world. Before we jump into this week's episode, I just want to make one ask. If you like this show, if you think these interviews are penetrating and fascinating and the best thing you've heard in, I don't know, the last whatever, 24 hours, please take a moment, go to iTunes and rate this podcast. It makes a massive difference. Go to the podcast app, search for Real Leaders, go to the reviews tab and rate the show. They make it incredibly not easy. Today, we are joined by Bill Flagg. He's a seasoned entrepreneur and an owner of a number of very, very interesting and diverse companies that you'll hear more about. Bill, we're thrilled to have you. Thanks for joining me. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Bill, so the first thing we do on Real Leaders is we ask our guests to give us their three-minute life story. So over to you and go. Three-minute life story. Born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. Made it out to Colorado as soon after college as I could. And I always had a passion for creating and building and growing companies. And dove into it 20-something years ago when I moved here and never stopped. Put my head through lots of brick walls, watched uh, companies go up and down, experienced it all, the, the, the agony and the ecstasy. In my 30s, I got to be a co-owner in a company called Reg Online that we ended up building up to about $10 million in revenue and 70 employees and unfortunately sold it. And I can tell you more about that later. But then uh, from there, I decided that I didn't want to just hand over my money to money managers. And I wanted to be an owner of, of real companies and be a, a significant part of growing more companies. So over the last uh, nine years, I've uh, had the good fortune to partner up with uh, founding entrepreneurs who've gotten their companies off the ground and wanted help in growing their companies and architecting great companies. They've all been self-funded and organically grown, and that brings us to present. Quick hit is you're going to keep doing more of that, right? Yeah, I'm gonna, the, the companies have grown dramatically since I've gotten involved. Um, each one of them were about a million in revenue when I got involved now. Collectively, five of them are about $35 million in revenue, and we have a couple hundred employees and you know, just continue to grow year over year. I'm also right now working on launching something called Sovereignty, which is creating a community of self-funded, organically grown companies that really uh, take pride in in having independence and the ability to grow through their own profitability and, and experience and enjoy that independence for the long haul. I found that there really wasn't a community or a good enough voice out there for, for these folks and, and also that they were desperate to sort of, and, and hungry, I should say more than desperate, to have a community of like-minded folk. So that's, that's the, the newest thing that I'm working on. Okay, so Bill, I want to go back to your 30s, and not that that was that long ago, but I want to just go back there for a second. You built this company, Reg Online. To whom did you sell it? To Active. Great. You said something that basically no entrepreneur that I've heard ever says. Your statement was, unfortunately, we sold it. And I had met you. We were loosely connected at that time, and I remember this blog post you wrote about, I mean, I actually experienced it as anger around selling your company. Mm -hmm. So it seems like, I don't think that was maybe the beginning of this philosophy. It may have actually been the middle, Mm -hmm. but tell us a little more about this sale and why you feel it was unfortunate. 
Um, there's a couple different layers on it. So we built this company that was doing 10 million in revenue and about four, a little, a little over 4 million in profit growing at 30% a year. And it was for most people working there, the best place they had ever worked. And we thought, oh, you know, we've taken it where we can take it. It being a part of this bigger company could be good for the employees because they'll have greater room to grow. And the company that bought us was international in scope. And we thought there might be a lot more opportunities for them as well as the company. And it was our way of rationalizing, hey, let's take a big payday. And um, we sold the company for what amounted to about $60 million. And there were just the two of us who were the owners, so there was no outside investors. It was a pretty significant payday. The three layers that I, I talk about are, first, the company that bought us went public. It sort of crashed. It got bought out by a private equity group. The, the you know, Regiline, the original company itself doesn't exist. It's a product folded into one of these uh, the private equity group, um, one of their subsidiaries out of Texas. And so the company doesn't exist anymore as a community, as a, as a great company that people can work for. Most customers that I've talked to have, have said that the product and the service have gone downhill since we sold it. So the customers are getting less out of it. On a more personal level, it's a lot harder than most people think to create another platform in another kingdom, so to speak, that you can have fun creating with other people. Um, my partner never really got back into that creative process and misses that, misses having that environment to play in. I've recreated it to some extent in my case, but not fully in the sense that I'm not... I'm not fully running and being in, this, in in one company and focused and driven on the growth of that one company. I'm I'm a advisor and owner of these companies that I provide strategic advice to, which is a nice lifestyle to have. But it's different than being singularly focused on growing one company. And then the third level, which for the most part, the first two, they go, yeah, 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 okay, so that happens, big deal. You got a bunch of money, you go enjoy yourself, travel around the world, whatever. The third layer, though, is really is the economic side, which is a company that's growing 30% a year, you know, with $4 million in profit. It, once you pay taxes on selling the company and the ability to reinvest that and get that same kind of return on cash and growth is next to impossible. And I certainly haven't recreated that myself, even though all my companies are doing fantastically well right now. Economically, I would have been much, much better off, like a factor of tenfold better off the cash flow that Regionline probably would be producing this year in terms of profit would be probably close to 20 million a year and growing. And so it makes more sense to hang on to in, in independent of crazy multiples. We got paid a very nice multiple for the business, but even, even if it was double that multiple, it still wouldn't have made economic sense to do that. So, you know, what I typically say to people is if you've got a profitable growing company in a big enough industry that you you see the growth is far from ending it's much much better to hang on and keep growing your own company than to think selling it and trying to create other stuff um, most entrepreneurs i know never get around to creating that next thing i just want to jump in and mention how contrarian this approach is because some of you listening may not spend a lot of time in the startup ecosystem or the venture ecosystem as bill has and in some ways, Bill and Inc. Magazine ran a feature that was really like this. It was a collection of contrarian people that have this viewpoint, and you were one of them. I'm, I'm just wondering sort of what were the formative stages in your life that led you to this philosophy? Obviously, Reg Online, to me, I, my suspicion is that wasn't chapter one of this internal philosophy for you. So if you look back to when you were a kid or when you were in high school and you might have had some entrepreneurial spirit, but you might have had this other thing, do you have any idea where this started? 
I don't. All I can say is it's just something that's that's bubbled up in me. And I think earlier on, like in college, I remember thinking, oh, is there such thing as a serial entrepreneur when entrepreneur really wasn't quite a sexy word yet? And you graduated, you went and got a good job at a good company, and, and that was success, right? But I was, I was thinking, do other people out there who create companies and sell them serially? And, and I, I had to dig hard to find that. Today, it's, it's out there and pervasive. But when, once I got to Reg Online and I realized, like, if I'm going to build something, I want to build something to last. And as long as that something has lots of great profitability and cash flow, it just keeps getting better every year and we can be benevolent owners, so to speak, in the sense that we can share the wealth, we can we can make our employees and our customers' life better and better as we get more and more profitable. And I do, when I got involved with RegOnline, I, I remember specifically saying to my partner, do you ever want to sell this company? And he said, sure, of course. And I said, well, I hope to one day fund your retirement by buying buying oh, you out. Really? And unfortunately, and I and I, I poked around for a couple of years, you know, earlier on trying to find where would I get the money to buy him out kind right. of thing. And and then someone came along and, and offered a crazy amount of money, you know, what, what we perceived as a, a crazy amount of money at the time. And I was like, I, I just don't even know how, I, not only how I'd raise that money to do it, but how I'd compete with that. And the advice was given is take take your chips off the table and then use that money to, to create what you really want to create. So if we think about this philosophy in the context of, I mean, we thought there was a bubble, we thought it was bursting, we seem to be right back, stock market's right back from the lows and even the Brexit lows have rebounded. We're still in this culture where venture investing, angel invest, that's just the piece de resistance. That's the goal. People announce fundraising as if they're announcing a business success, which I even though I'm more in that space than you are mm-hmm. in terms of thinking that that's okay, uh, it still strikes me as a little unusual. My question is, are there costs to your philosophy for companies? Like, is your philosophy ever, and I know, you're, you know your answer would be, well, I'm just, it's just my philosophy. I'm not saying it's right for everyone. But are there times when it does make more sense to sell, notwithstanding the economic needs of the founders, but just generally for the benefit of the business? Yes. If I, if the question I commonly ask is, what is the probability that your business is going to continue to be growing in three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years? If the probability falls off, like you say, five years, I don't know, I'm less than 50% likely this company might still be growing. Then for me, it's about that continued growth being an industry where you know you can continue growing. So my answer isn't always, hell no, don't sell your company. Sometimes it is. And in fact, you know, we have a we have a mutual friend who he exited his company uh, just before a whole bunch of regulations changed and made made the company obsolete. So you know I can't argue with him on being stubborn about my philosophy, right? Well, so no, we need to be sure that on this podcast we don't <laughs> imply that he knew that was going to happen. He didn't, but right? he was good luck. But he had a, he he had good luck and maybe the instinct to know that hey, if this is one thing that could take the whole thing down, and it, because he was in a government regulated industry, right. so. I don't say never, but certainly I say a hell of a lot more than the mentality most people have about whether they should hang on to their company or, or, you know, the philosophy of I'm building to exit being more pervasive than I think is, is healthy for our business environments. I mean, I know you to be a pretty humble guy, so I know that you're not making judgments for other people. And I accept that you understand that everybody has their own circumstances. But I want to bring up a real life situation. You've heard of Trunk Club. 
Mm -hmm. So Trunk Club goes through at a time when lots and lots of companies were raising hundreds of millions of dollars, Bonobo, you know, lots and lots of companies. They were in a really, really frothy time. And they raised, I think, under 20 million bucks. And after a few years, Nordstrom came in and bought Trunk Club. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know what? That just makes so much sense. Trunk Club was really good at customer acquisition. Trunk Club had a real system for selling clothes after they already acquired the customer. Nordstrom had a lot of clothes. I mean, what do you think of acquisitions like that? Well, I think if I'm a big company, I'm thinking acquisitions like that are going to give me my next my next wave of growth. And, and big companies aren't good at inventing or creating the next way in which their customers can buy from or the next type of product. So, so those big com- if I'm if you're asking if I'm Nordstrom, I'm saying that's brilliant. If you're asking me if I'm the owner of Trunk Club, then I have a, a slightly different answer, which is how sustainable is the growth of my business and how independent do I want to keep it? Another example is, by the way, is in the same category is Zappos being bought by Amazon. Right. Now, Amazon was a very friendly buyer. It was better than a private equity group that would just flip it in three to five years. But Amazon still took away the independence of Zappos. I used to buy from Zappos. I don't buy from Zappos anymore. My customer experience has faltered because there isn't that independence, that sovereignty in Zappos anymore that carries the same spirit as it did before it got acquired. And I talked to Tony just before that acquisition happened, and I said, would you ever sell this company? And he said, if you had to experience the board that I have in terms of their continually to make fun of my thoughts about culture and to constantly be pushing me about when are we going to exit, you might think about who could be a good replacement for those VCs on my board. And so that's why he did that. But in the process of being consumed by a larger company, the smaller company inevitably doesn't have the same spirit and isn't as necessarily as great of a place to work, isn't serving the customers as well. And I, it's, I thought Zappos had a better than average chance on that, but I'm, I'm no longer a customer. So that I, I think that says something, not because they sold, but because my customer experience is, has faltered since they've sold. So if we forecast 20 years out, and we're sitting here in a time that I think it's fair to say, again, like getting venture fundings, be all end all at big series A, big series B. There's still so much mythology. I mean, I read today that Go Spot Check raised a series B here in Colorado. And I'm thinking back whether they were in Techstars four years ago, maybe five years ago. We have this illusion that this takes five minutes and it's just really hard. I was sitting in Galvanize yesterday, which is a co-working space. One, they have an office here in Boulder, Colorado. And there are logos of startups up on the glass when the startups occupy the office. And it was just a day where a lot of the stickers were being removed. And I knew that not all those people had moved to bigger offices. Mm-hmm. So I think in some sense, I have an investment fund, so it's ridiculous to say, but we just don't pay enough attention to the part of this that is mythology. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really where your philosophy resonates a lot with me, which is just build a great business. Mm -hmm. Whether you sell it or not, build a great business. Right. You got to build a great business regardless of whether you're taking on funding or not. And think about it. If you can build a business independently, then it gives you a ton more options and autonomy. And so the mythology, I think you put your finger right on it in terms of talking about the mythology of raising funds and exiting. It's something that is a very exciting 
process, I can speak from, from experience, exciting process on the exit side. On the fundraising, I can't speak to that, but I've seen how people get in the way you describe it. But what I would love is to create another amusement park mythology right. that people can take a great ride on, just as great of a ride as exiting as taking pride in, 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 in what I call being sovereign and, and staying sovereign. And that is having a company that stays independent. I want to create a club of, of people and, and entrepreneurs and companies that can say, hey, that's great that you, you're all excited about about celebrating exiting and we're going to we're going to celebrate this idea of sovereignty and being sovereign over here um because it's it's really fun and there's so many benefits to it that you maybe you wouldn't experience if you're you know you're just thinking about taking multiple rounds and then exiting I think it's really funny. Every now and then the concept of a distribution to shareholders comes up in my conversations and literally the founders don't know what I mean. They have no idea. Oh, like, I, I love distributions. Distributions. It, are that is much more exciting to me than exits. There you go. So. All right. So you alluded to, I, I really love this idea of sovereignty as sort of the defining word of your philosophy. I think it's great. Tell us a little bit about where you're headed next. I know you're building a, a company or something called sovereignty. Tell me about mm-hmm. it. Sovereignty is it's just what I was saying about creating a community of people who are taking pride in this idea that I don't care about selling this. I want to build something great for the long haul. And there's lots of companies and lots of examples out there, whether it be Basecamp 37 Signals or, or MailChimp or even Go Bigger. And you can talk about Microsoft or, or Apple, for that matter, where they took on funding, but they stayed and kept their independence and kept growing and didn't get consumed. It's something that perpetually comes up in my conversations because, as you said, a lot of people go, oh, what you're talking about is is unconventional and no one else is really talking about it and I love hearing about it. And so rather than being like, okay, I can have one-on-one conversations with so many people, wouldn't it be great if we started sort of building that community? And that's on the front end of, of being of value to each other in that community. And that's what I've done to a smaller extent with my with my five companies where that is a community where they're benefiting from learning from each other and being knowing that they're all coming from the same place of having been self-funded having not having a bunch of money that they're spending on on things and, and just being in a different path I, what I want to do is bring that to a, a larger group of people on the flip side I've seen way too many friends sell their companies they were, they were profitable growing companies they thought I don't know if I'm ever going to get this kind of offer again, and I'm going to sell it while I can. And and it actually makes me sad to see that happening. And I try with all my might to convince them not to. And what I've done is circled back with a whole bunch of entrepreneurs who are independently wealthy, who self-made people, and said, would you be willing to help buy companies, whether it's buying out initial investors or providing some liquidity to founders who not have all their eggs in one basket so that we can provide a funding source to provide shareholder liquidity. And whether it's buying the whole company or parts of companies, but do it in a way no different than other than being much, much smaller, but no different than how Warren Buffett looks at buying companies. He says, listen, I'll buy them and hold them for life. And even the bad ones I'll hold for life because I want people to know the owners of these great 
companies to know that I'm going to give their companies a home for life. And I'm not going to monkey with them by trying to like merge them in with a bunch of others and, and then sell them off three to five years later and, and that sort of stuff. I'm just going to continue growing them and let them grow, let them grow in, in a great way for the long haul. So sovereignty will also be a source of funds to provide shareholder liquidity. Um, so so that the companies can stay sovereign. And when I say sovereign, I'm really referring to the companies. And that's why I say, you know what? Sometimes it's the entrepreneurs need to, sometimes they need to just step away, but they can step away in a way that keeps what they've built intact and, and growing in, a, in the great way that they started it. Though I've, I've seen you talk about this and I've seen you hear other people's plans. And I really notice in you, I mean, it really, it almost visibly upsets you. Like you're not a jerk about it. You don't tell people what they, you know, you're, you're a decent guy or you're a really great guy, but, but it does seem to just upset you at your core. Why do you, you're fine. You got enough money. You have enough money to invest. You can do, you know, a lot, I assume of what you want to do in the world. Why do you care so much about this? Cause I, I say like, if, if I've got everything I, I want and need in life, which I feel very fortunate to be in the place that I am, I say, okay, if I could make a dent in, in the universe or on this little planet of ours, what's one way that's connected to what I'm good at and that I think I can have an impact? And I, I know that, and I've seen it over and over again, companies getting flipped and consumed in these three to five year, either whether it's the way that they're being funded and have to be sold or the way that companies that are buying them that are consuming the companies. I see what happens to the employees. I see what happens to the entrepreneurs who used to run them. I see what happens to the, to the customers. And I say this is, I think this is having a negative effect on society to have this cycle going on. And so as I say, if we can have more companies that can stay independent and sovereign, for the long haul, I think it benefits a lot of people in the process. And so that that's really why for me, I go, ah, what a shame. It's like, Uh, you know, I, when you're talking when I go to New York every now and then I'll look at the Brooklyn bridge and I'll just think, man, it's so hard in our society to do big, astonishing things. Now there's so much friction. There's so much naysaying. And when I listen to you talk, I think, wow, I mean the creation of IBM or the creation of Microsoft, that's a really brave thing. And our culture and our economy is stronger by virtue of having these companies that have grown to this size. I really never thought of it that way. I think that's really big picture perspective. That helps a lot. Thank you. Yeah. It's it's people because people are like, what's the big deal? You know, like I just, I just feel it in my gut and I, and I have for a long time. Hopefully I can, I, I can be of some help. And my vision down the road is that there's you know, millions of employees and billions of customers and hundreds of thousands of owners who go, I'm really glad that I can pronounce that this company is still sovereign because I know that it's created some great things. There's great private companies out there that are completely independent and sovereign and they're great, great companies. And I want to see more of that. I think companies are a huge part of our society and community and can have a huge impact on everyone's lives, whether we're doing business with them or we're, we're employees of, of the companies. This philosophy also, if you roll it back to the origin stories of companies or the origin of companies, 
it creates more interesting companies, right? I mean, we talk about companies that are just an app or companies that are just a feature as opposed to companies that are real companies. Mm -hmm. And if more people are thinking this way about building an enduring company, they're more likely to create impactful companies. That's from right. the beginning. That's right. And, you know, it, it, is, it is important to make a distinction. I think there's a lot of, especially in the technology space, there's a lot of technology that's being made that's really a, a product or a feature. They couldn't necessarily stand on their own legs. And so, they, yes, there's a lot of people out there and a lot of funding helping to create parts within the technology system that can be then propagated through a bigger company. And, and you know, Foundry Group does a lot of that type of investing and does a great job with it. And that it's very important and a very vital part of advancing technology. So I get involved when I go, this isn't just a product. This is a, a market fit that's big enough that we can really build a great company off of this. So that's another distinction that when people say, well, should I sell or not? You go, well, all right. You right, know. right. Is this a real long-term are you, company? Are you, brokering, are you brokering the creation of technology or are you looking to build a great company? All right. So, Bill, just to give context to people who are listening, name your five companies that you own part of right now. Okay. Um, so there's Survey Gizmo, Snap Engage, Sticker Giant, Poster Brain, and Avid for Adventure. All right, so I have a question for you that I've wanted to ask for a really long time, and now I can ask it sweet. live. It's so sweet. So <laughs> up to Avid for Adventure, not all those companies instinctively are just B2B, but my understanding of a lot of what you've, even Sticker Giant and Poster Brain, that you quickly began increasing the focus on B2B in every one of those four companies. Is that right? Yeah, looking at our core market being the sort of the, the middle market, okay. not the entry level, not the full enterprise, but hit in the middle of the markets. I, I remember we had a conversation once about pricing and about target customer. And you had what was really a very interesting philosophy that I've remembered, but I'd love you to share it. I think you have just a view around pricing and how these technology or SaaS companies price. What, what, what is your opinion of how to price for the middle market? My opinion is, and this is what I experienced and learned from Reg Online, there was a lot of people who'd say, you're too expensive can you, can you give me a cheaper product? And the cheaper product would have been like an Eventbrite. And I kn- knew Eventbrite didn't make money for years. I don't, even, I don't know if they make money now. But I, I said, well, what would be cheap enough? And free was what they always came back to. But the customers that were in the middle, the, the, the sort of have the, what I call middle market need, that needed a lot more technology, needed, needed a lot more things with it, said, actually said we were ch- so much cheaper than the enterprise at, that they didn't believe that we could give them what they needed. And so we actually started increasing price as a result of that. And that made us more profitable to us, also made us more credible in the marketplace. I've found in SaaS, the sweet spot is going up into the market and having a 90% or more of the capabilities of an enterprise level solution where they're charging sometimes 10 times as much. And and being more of a viable option for the small to medium-sized companies to get the enterprise solution because they'd never be able to afford that enterprise solution, but get it for a tenth the cost, than trying to be the entry-level solution that is hoping that um, someone's going to go from free to a paid account. And so I found that we can be a lot better at customer service, provide a lot more value. It's people who feel that they get the most value. And in any business I'm in, I always want my customers to feel like they're getting a lot more value than what they're paying for. And so that's 
part of it. Like if if I'm in a free business, it's really hard to, I think, deliver and, and be a profitable company doing it. So do you believe in free trials? To some extent. I think I think there is a piece that's like, don't make me do, as a customer, and I say, don't make me do anything until at least I can kick things around and, and get a feel for your product. I think enabling people to get in easily and seeing what you're actually offering and delivering, it, it, you're going to get more customers by doing that. In companies that have SaaS opportunities that are looking at selling in the way you just talked about, what percentage of their sales can they get without touching a company with a real person? Meaning all inbound through the internet kind all of All inbound, self-service, you know, customer acquisition that happens in caches without a person having to make a 20-minute sales call. It's interesting you ask that question because we built my companies with, I'd say, 95% of our revenue being didn't, didn't need to be touched for them to, to be doing business with us. As we're now thinking about how do we go, grow from being $10 million companies to $100 million companies, we're, we're realizing that we need to go out there and maybe fight to win on an outbound basis, to fight to win some of the bigger business that we can go after that are maybe ingrained in a, in a, a more um, enterprise-level solution, but that we can go out and, and really sell them on why they can save a lot of money and get the, get the same, if not better, capabilities. So I think I'm softening on that to some extent because before I was like, there's no reason to waste a bunch of money and, and energy on a bunch of outbound salespeople when you have the internet bringing everyone to you. And as long as you communicate well on your site, they can all sign up for it. But as we start to go more up market in our businesses, I can see the benefit in doing that. Another thing I noticed about your companies, Bill, and I don't even know if you're involved in these decisions, is that they actually do really nice community sponsorships for select events around town. Mm-hmm. What's your philosophy around sponsorship within the community? I actually tie it to what our employees are involved with and being of support to them and what they're excited about in the community. It, it, it helps us to connect with the community and as well as support our team members and what they're involved with. Do you care if it has an ROI? Is the ROI, is the main ROI just what you described? I don't, th- I don't think I could track an ROI on it. And it's more of just, again, like supporting the community that we're in. I, I think it does, if we, if we added it all up, it probably does help with recruiting and employee retention. And, and I, I, I'm, we probably could get to that, that point where, you know, you could put it down on paper and say there's an ROI. Okay. But it's just it just feels good and it feels like the right thing and it's part of that like was there an ROI at Reg Online when we decided hey we're just we're gonna bring in a chef to cook everyone breakfast every morning so it's one less thing they have to think about and it was like all right well let's do the math on you know it's like no it's just it's just something that we feel like we could do to help make our employees' lives better so let's just do it and it's it's one of those other things that it's 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 more tangible than just another raise, right? Mm, right. Or, or another, or just another bonus. Yep. So you have four companies that are largely B2B, and your most recent major investment is in a camp. That's the question I've been dying to ask. <laughs> Why a camp? Um, so I don't invest in companies. I own them. I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> we, 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 yeah, I, I, I have to stick sorry. that in there. Thank you. Um, and... It's so the so the commonality on it is that it was organically grown, profitable, with a really incredible impact on on kids and and in the community. And my, and it started with my own daughter at three and a half, 
going to the camp and after having been in maybe a half a dozen other camps that summer was just totally lit up by the way everything she got to do at the camp and the way the camp was run. And so um, I looked at it and I said, this is an opportunity for me to be a part of growing another great company that can be nationwide in scope and have a great impact while still being really profitable. And I decided I was ready to sort of take what I've learned from SaaS and what I learned from web to print and and, and try it in a a slightly different industry. Uh, It's been a blast and the company is just incredible. And coming into it, it's it's a larger size than I came into the other companies. I love the leadership and I love the founder and my partner, co-owner. And I thought this will be really fun and interesting and, and enough of a fit in the sense that organically grown and profitable and, and not ever, you know, not looking to sell um, and looking just to grow a great company that can have a great impact. I want to be sure we just get those names and URLs in. So that company is called Avid for Adventure, and the F-O-R is actually the number four, right? Yeah, and it's just avid, the number four, dot com. And Sovereignty, is there a place yet that's live that people can learn more about that? The site should be going live any any day now, and it's Sovereignty. If you can figure out how to spell it, just type it into Google, it'll tell you, dot com. I'm guessing most of the people who really want Sovereignty will be able to spell Sovereignty. <laughs> you don't know? I don't know. We'll see. Or they'll have a good friend who can spell Sovereignty. Right. <laughs> One last question. So... I have this belief that we have all received essentially one piece of feedback for almost our entire life, starting at being a toddler. And we just get a different form of that feedback from our significant other, from any performance reviews, if you ever had one, uh, from any business associates and just people on the street. My personal one is, Sue, it, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And I, and I really have devoted my life to mm. working on this. And no matter what, uh, tomorrow I will get exactly that feedback about something I say. So... I wonder, do you have one? I think I think one of the one of the pieces of feedback I've gotten is that I have a philosophy on everything, <laughs> and I think it's it's just like right. So that's hilarious. Yeah, I can imagine that could get old. It's a really good question to go home and ask your wife, and at least your oldest yes. daughter, who will definitely have an answer <laughs> for you. Bill, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for joining Real Leaders, and thanks to our guest, Bill Flag. Keep your eye out for Sovereignty.com. We didn't talk about what he might have paid for that domain, but given Bill, he probably owned it for the last 20 years. So as always, Real Leaders is brought to you by MergeLane, the accelerator and investment fund, I mean owner fund, for startups with at least one female in leadership. We're underway for our 2017 season. The Accelerator application is open for the program kickoff in February of 17. Check out mergelane.com to learn more. As always, I'm Sue Heilbronner, your host of Real Leaders. Learn more about me at tellsue.com. Thanks, everyone.